Welcome to the podcast of ITFA 2018. My name is Orwan Erebiya. I'm ITFA's Artistic Director. In this podcast, we're presenting a selection of recordings from the year's industry sessions and doc talks. This episode features the industry session Data-Driven Audience Engagement. Everyone is talking about data, but how do you use it for audience engagement for your film? What to measure and who measures what? How does GDPR affect your audience data? Speakers are Sarah Moses from Together Film and Sonia Henrique of the Scottish Documentary Institute. And this session was recorded on November 20th, 2018. And now Sonia's going to give us an um, overview of Time Trial, which is a very successful project that Scottish Doc did um, recently. So Time Trial was actually is exactly a year ago that we launched the film here at ITFA. Um, but I wanted to just go back a little bit um, because it was at least a sort of five-year journey to get to that point. Um, it's a film set in the cycling world with a, a road cyclist, David Miller, at the center. Um, we knew David had his fans and his um, detractors as well. He was an ex-doper um, who uh, had been banned for two years, so we knew there were people who really did not like David. So we knew that we, if we're going to be active on social, there would be an element of um, negative publicity too. Um, we uh, decided to immediately, we'd been working um, on a kind of uh, a project which was all about engagement and how we, uh, which was funded by Creative Scotland. And so we set up immediately a, a website, uh, a Facebook page, a, uh, a Twitter feed. Um, and one of the main launch events actually was uh, an event with David Miller in London, um, which sold out immediately. I think we had maybe 100 tickets, 150 tickets. And it was a good measure because we were able to suck all that information into our start, you know, in our database for the project. Um, and we're using uh, CRM um, and an engagement tool called Nation Builder. And I'll go a little bit more into it soon. <coughs> Um, so again, right from the beginning, we knew we had one place where everything feeds into, uh, which enables us to sort of um, build on and collect data and and also uh, sort people into different categories. Um, what? Um, yeah, David Miller at that point, I think, had a Twitter following of about forty thousand. Um, and which grew in the course of five years to over 200,000, which is also quite interesting. Because I think in the middle of it, he almost wanted to shut down his Twitter account and I had to call his mum and say, can you please not <laughs> delete it? <laughs> Just get him back on again. Um, so in the middle of that, we, we were looking at various uh, metrics and as I haven't pulled out too much, but very interestingly, our uh, audience was predominantly men, aged 35 to 44. Not completely uh, surprising, but it is kind of quite stark. Um, so that, of course, informs a little bit uh, how we uh, market it sometimes uh, in terms of ads to uh, people once we, we were actually able to uh, market the finished film. So I want to go back, because in the second stage, um, 
we, when we were in production, we started obviously having materials uh, and so on. So we, we added a YouTube channel um, and we posted a few clips from just raw, pretty much raw footage from um, the film or from, from, the, uh, from the rough footage to YouTube and um, with a little bit of promotion, but not too much. And, it, and they went actually quite well. It was over 20,000 views on, on each of them. Um, so YouTube, I mean, you're sort of starting to realize where people actually watch this kind of stuff around cycling. And YouTube is definitely a strong channel for it. Twitter is partly a strong channel for for uh, the road cyclists because it's very short and people are always on the move. And um, uh, if you're watching a race, for example, people might be in different parts of a race and they might say, okay, this is happening here and this is happening here. And people share a lot on Twitter. And, and, and a lot of the um, cyclists, not just David, are very much uh, active on Twitter. So we, we mapped out a whole ambassador list of who are the big cyclists with a big following. And we thought they would potentially share um, share the film. We'll see if that happened. Um, once we um, so we, we in, in that process we also started doing in the sort of middle phase of production fundraising. We did a few more events where we had like ten minutes. We showed ten or twenty minute cut. Um, reached out to. Uh, cycling fans in York, for example, is a stronghold of British cycling, and we um, basically tried to sort of to sort of hook people into the project early on. I mean, you never know exactly how long, how much longer it will take you to actually bring the film back, the finished film back. So you always, hopefully, won't take another three years. But in some cases, that that would have been the case. But still, you're starting to um, get a few ambassadors that are sort of grassroots ambassadors for your film um, in those different cities. Um, so I think this is the wrong order, actually. So um, what, we, um, what we found was that that um, basically, you know, obviously grew our awareness in, in for people who followed, started following us uh, from an early stage. Um, we managed to... Uh, have a sort of we, we obviously have a mailing list that was was clear we had that from the very get go and uh, we we didn't do a lot of updates admittedly um, but we did occasionally obviously nurture that relationship um, coming to the launch um, so we had in the second phase we probably had a second version of the website just slightly more sophisticated um, and at point of launch we um, had uh, our trailer already um, for the festival launch, sorry. We had been reaching out to various um, channels. For example, one of the biggest channels is the Global Cycling Network with over a million of followers on YouTube. And of course, because they're all so into cycling, they are, in this case, big fans of David's, and they said, oh, I would love to help. We'll, seed, we'll have an exclusive for a trailer and we'll seed the trailer for you. So I think within a week or so of seeding time trial trailer with them, it had sort of 70,000 views, um, which was great. Um, um, and what we, 
what we found was that, um, well, what, 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 what they uh, liked, that, that they helped us to, to promote it. They, they did a bit of advertising spend, but not too much. But going back to uh, what we're looking at before, we didn't own that audience, of course. We we're not in control of saying, okay, can you spend, maybe we could have said, could you spend more money on this so it'll actually go even wider, or there's no way for us to really contact their audience on, on, on their YouTube channel. So that's a sort of, base, a, a, sort of a shared audience where they, they helped us uh, access, but it's also really giving them original content for their channel and the, their advertisers. <laughs> frankly. So it's, it's that sort of thing you have to consider. Um, so at the point of um, launching uh, at ITFA, we, we had a sort of third, pretty much third version of the website, and um, we started um, slowly building up to our UK theatrical release. Um, we decided that we would because we had started these little community screen, you know, pre-screenings during the production, um, that we would try having super hosts. We wanted people to be especially engaged with some of the cinema screenings. So, uh, and knowing that some were going to be, you know, some people could be those ambassadors for their local road cycling club. So we needed, but it's very hard for us to get access. So we wanted people on the ground, we gave them extra tickets, uh, a, a poster, a signed poster, and um, uh, I don't know, special thanks. Uh, and, and really, they, they, we, we managed almost every screening in the UK had a super host, and audiences were really good. And it kind of just felt like people did a lot of marketing for us in, in that way. Um, we then also launched uh, a book your screening page, which means people could then also book their own community screenings. I think that's uh, maybe a slightly longer conversation, but it's it's great to have these different engagement points for people to to say actually uh, it's not in my area. Um, we didn't reach every single. Uh, cinema in the UK, of course, so we could say, well, actually, but we'd love you to book a screening. If you, if you can arrange it, we'll love you to, um, to show it. So it's, you always have an answer for people coming back saying, well, it's not in Newcastle yet. Um, and sometimes it's obviously uh, out with, of our control, whether a cinema takes it or not. Um, we, so that's, this is for example of a screening page screening booking page, um, kind of almost automated this, and they signed up to a license. They can pay money online, um, so it didn't take too much interaction. Um, this is all based on a, a nation builder, and we've just sort of pulled out a, a sample page of one of my colleagues. This is kind of what it might look like in the back end. Um, so any interaction someone has with us, if they follow us on Facebook, if they follow us on Twitter, it all it does get sucked into Nation Builder, um, which you know I'll get onto that has these sort of um, GDPR consequences, of course. Nowadays, um, we tag people whether they have a community screening request or whether they um, 
are just following us on fa Facebook or if they just uh, sign up to the email list. So we can target people and we don't um, email people if they haven't actually signed up to us, although we might hold their email details. So um, in terms of the UK launch, we had quite a big team. Um, we decided to self-distribute, I guess you would call it. We had, we had a booker. Uh, and the target, I suppose, was 50 cinemas, and we ended up probably around 100 in the end. Um, we had a publicist. They started already at the ITFA world premiere. Obviously, this is all not full-time. We had a grassroots coordinator who just did important early-stage intervention, just a little bit to, to say, to tie us into some events that were happening in the UK uh, on the ground. Obviously, we had a designer, freelance, who produced a lot of assets and realize we need more and more assets to, you know, for Instagram as a different format to um, to Twitter or, or and so on. Uh, we had an in-house marketing co coordinator. We had various assistants. We had Dogwood for the TVOD um, digital release day and date. Um, and as I said, we had a sort of mature nation builder database after five years of doing various events, Twitter, social, um, we did have a, you know, around 13,000 entries on the, uh, in, inside the database. Um, what else is that to say? Um, yeah, so what happened in the end, we ended up with around 75K box office and 20K uh, video on demand uh, returns. So we didn't feel that TVOD kind of cannibalized our cinema. We didn't promote it too much, but it's nice to be there for those people who can't get to cinema. So I thought it, uh, it worked very well for us. However, in the middle, like six weeks before the, six weeks before the release, uh, GDPR happened. So the compliance uh, for the with general data protection regulation, which you all know about, and everyone gotten all these emails, um, happened right before the release, and we're like, how are we going to deal with um, you know, our database? People have signed up, or, or, but can we still email them? So we had a bit of help with Ben Kempis here, who uh, film and campaign, who's also helped us implement our Nation Builder system many years ago, and the website. Um, so we, we worked through uh, all the uh, regulations and and discussions around how you comply. And what really, um, sorry, I'm on the wrong page here. Um, you can see the full text here. These are some of the themes you can see that are covered by the GDPR. But one of the key things is consent. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard and been the recipients of it. But some of the important uh, notions are that you have to, they, you, your audience have, have to, has to give you consent freely. It has to be specific, informed, and unambiguous. Um, and users have the right to change their mind, and they, they have the right to be forgotten. So really, whatever you implement, whatever system you implement, people, you know, you, you have to have policies in place that, that enable that. Um, so people say, I want to be deleted from your database, you have to comply with that and, and um, 
and so the, the the age of spreadsheets is probably fading in a bit because it's quite hard to uh, control your data if it's spread over lots of Excel sheets. Um, so I would say it's probably quite hard to be GDPR compliant if you don't use some sort of software as a service um, or plugins. So Mailchimp, Nation Builder, all these services do say they are compliant and they were, however, also struggling a little bit to be compliant on time. Um, so we, having used Nation Builder, we already had double opt-in in place, which means you sign up, you then get an email, and you, re you reconfirm that you have actually signed up. I'm sure we've all received these double opt-ins. So we deemed that our existing subscribers were actually legitimate, and we didn't ask for re-permission in this case. Um, we, however, sort of revamped our sign-up wording and to make that a lot more firmly, and also um, told people a little bit more detail around what it actually means to sign up and how we use their data. That's kind of what was added with GDPR. Um, uh, we did uh, inform the subscriber that the changes were taking place ahead of the deadline, and um, as a side note, Nation Builder provides a sort of token. The back end, that means there's a sort of irrevocable record that people have signed up. Um, with if, should you need re legal proof. Um, we then used a, uh, also IU Bender, which revamped our privacy policy and cookie policy. Um, it's, it basically, you, you have to choose what sort of um, services you use and it then sort of spits out a privacy policy. It costs a little bit of money, but uh, actually I, f I thought it was quite helpful to, rather than writing it yourself or ripping something on, off the website, which is probably not the best thing to do. Um, and just a couple of other notes would be really to say that um, some of the key concepts is that Nature Builder would be a data processor or your accountant would be your data processor, but you are the data controller. So you do have to have someone ultimately responsible for your data. Um, and you know, if, if, should you be investigated, you would have to point to that person as a um, as someone who who uh, is in charge of all that. So, cool. anything I've forgotten? I think that's it for the moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, let, I think there's like a couple of questions. So, with your so you're basically outlining that you spent five years just like stress on you spent five years of audience development mm. before you got to release point. And how big do you think your audience was before you released the film? And how much do you think it grew after you released the film? Like, did you think you had most of your audience already with you, ready and waiting and primed, and yeah. um, before you got to release? I think we, yeah, it's actually we we probably grew Facebook to five thousand followers, let's say. And it didn't exponentially grow after that. Mm. But also, actually, it sort of... Facebook took a bit of battering, obviously, in the last year. And I wonder if it also has a little bit to do with that, where people... Well, I know myself, I think, sort of waned their engagement with Facebook a little bit. Um, so, yeah, for sure, most of our engagement was before. And it's not like we did every week or anything... Um, on Facebook in terms of updates, but the good thing about working with someone like David Miller is that he generated his own 
mm. kind of marketing. So he'd have articles about those news stories. So we could share everything around David Miller. So we, we knew that people who followed us were most likely David Miller fans uh, who also, he didn't have a Facebook page. So if they were going to be on Facebook, some people, in fact, thought it was David Miller's own page. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, there would be strong supporters. Um, and how important when you, so you self-released the title through Scottish Duck Institute, so how important was it to have that data when you went to cinemas to say, I'd like to book in the screening here, I want to have these 50 cities, like, did you, were you able to use and segment that data that you'd amass over five years as a way to increase your bookings and increase your programming options? I mean, I didn't, I didn't earwig when John was doing the bookings for cinema, um, I think we had a very sympathetic um, booker at uh, Picture House, mm -hmm. which is a big chain in the UK, or well, big art house chain. And they gave us like 20, 25 cinemas, and he's a big cycling fan. So mm -hmm. that helped. But again, him, actually, I, I updated him on the film during the production as well. So I was already saying, well, when this comes out, will you support the film? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of you know one-to-one -one engagement as well mm -hmm. in that case. And then we had a few more uh, VU cinemas. Well, one of our investors, in fact, uh, was linked to VU cinemas. So they gave us uh, another 20 cinemas, I think. Um, so all that sometimes is also kind of relationship building. Yeah, is a part of audience development yeah. in yeah. a way to kind of get them through. And did you know, was it Chris that booked it at Pitch House? Yeah. Did you know Chris was a cycling fan before you had the first meeting? Um, I'm not sure now. Uh, it's been so long. I knew for a long yeah. time, but I don't know if the very yeah. first meeting I knew that. Because it's a weird thing. It's sort of like your audience profile yeah. of a man in their 30s it who is, likes yes, cycling. Exactly. It was a target audience, and yeah. they happened to be the booker was a man in his 30s who likes cycling. So it's a weird thing of where, like, when we think about audience development, sometimes we just think of our consumer audience, mm -hmm. but actually your booker audience mm -hmm. was the exact same person <laughs> that you were trying to talk Correct. to. Correct, yeah. Which is quite yeah. funny. It's kind of there. I mean, we did write a sort of marketing strategy and a sort of audience profile and because Finley Pretzel the director is, is a huge cycling fan and he's also exactly the target audience so in a way he was also the sort of like would you respond to this would you you know so he was sort of an inbuilt yeah. audience monitor Okay, so let's move on to the um, next section a little bit. We're going to have time for questions at the end as well, so if anyone has anything more on time trial. Um, so there was a few bits of language there that we discussed that I just want to kind of like reiterate. Um, so put your hand up if you know what a CRM is. Okay, I'm just going to outline some of these things. So there's a couple of words that we use that some people may not be familiar with. So um, a CRM is a customer relationship management system. So the screenshot that we had up there, which was from Nation Builder, is a version of a CRM system that you can use. And it basically is a way of organizing, tagging, filtering your audience members, whether you're selling them shoes or selling them films, it's a way of kind of organizing that information. So in some ways, MailChimp as a newsletter provider is a form of CRM because you're storing the metadata of first name, last name, email address, and then depending on your form structure, you may have also added in city, um, are you a university student? Are you a documentary fan? You may have added additional metadata functions to the back of that. And metadata is a way of sort of organizing information kind of in systems. So for any form of engagement, you ideally want someone's email address because then you can contact them. So we've had it when we work with partners and they're like, here's my Google spreadsheet of all the people we work with. And I'm like, great, another Google spreadsheet. And there's like a first name and an organizational name and no contact information. 
And I'm like, this is literally pointless. Like, this is a pointless line of data. This data is completely pointless because I don't have a point of contact and a reference point for engaging, then this is a completely pointless line. I then have to research and find out what was their email address, do they have a phone number, how can I get in touch with them at that time? And we had that with a recent partner where we analyzed three and a half thousand rows of data to work out like which one was actually a valid point of entry and which one was a valid contact we could talk to. Um, and keeping that up to date is really important. So in a proficient CRM system, anyone who's used MailChimp, if you email people and the email bounces, it stores a record in your CRM that this email is probably not valid, probably don't email them again, rather than just being like, oh, that's annoying, it bounced, and then six months later you send them an email again. So having a CRM system is a way to kind of organize the logic of information. And we use it, Together Films at the moment, um, for part of our work, a CRM system called HubSpot, um, which has additional functions, so we can add a pixel, like with a Facebook pixel, where you can add it onto the back end of your website. And so we can track, if we email someone as a one-on-one -on -one email, I can then see if they've opened that email, they've been come on our website, they've looked around our pages, I can see sort of where they're interacting with what we're doing. I can also see if they open the email, if they clicked on the email. So there's lots of different things you can sort of track, and that as a basic package is completely free to use, which is really good for a lot of people. Um, HubSpot is that second example. So numerous different CRMs. You have things like Salesforce, HubSpot, Capsule CRM. There's lots and lots of different ones that people can utilize. Um, but essentially, it's about stressing that just having a Google Sheet is not proficient enough now. Like we're past the point of Google Sheets being OK. And especially as Sonia raised about GDPR, you have no idea now in a Google spreadsheet whether someone actually wants to be contacted by you if that's the only way you're storing the information. So you need to have a system that's more proficient. And you need to have a system where you can filter and tag and sort so that I can say to my team, right, I need like a group of partners based in Norwich who are interested in the climate kind of activism, and they'll be able to find very quickly in our system maybe three partners who are specifically about that. So you can target information in a very, very clear way. Um, the other thing that um, Sonia brought up in terms of sort of engaging on Facebook is that the algorithms of a lot of these different platforms have amended over time. So you're seeing less engagement rates on Facebook organically because Facebook are encouraging you to pay more for advertising on their platform and understanding how those algorithms work. So you just might think, oh, no one likes my trailer because no one's watching it on Facebook. But actually, you're not appearing in anybody's news feeds because of the algorithms until you boost your post, and then suddenly loads of people are liking it and sharing it because they're actually seeing it for the first time. The other note on that is that usage of Facebook from younger audiences is dramatically dropping, whereas the use of Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter is rising. So if you've identified who your target audience is nice and early, you can apply a strategy to the right platform so that you're engaging people sort of in the right way. So one of the things that we've been developing at Together Films um, over the last few years is sort of like our approach to data and kind of how we work with it. And we're building out a, um, a larger system, which is a festival and rights management platform to kind of try and house this information in a better way. But we started out initially with um, a project called our Insights Dashboard, which I just want to give you a little bit of an oversight into. A, just to see kind of how we view data and how we analyze it, but also it's about this idea of KPI measurement. So KPI, a key performance indicator, how do I know if I'm doing good? I need to have a measurement ranking, ranking and then kind of measure against it. So this is an example of one of our dashboards, which I've kind of hidden any reference to a few things. It's an amalgamation of different data sources. So you may see stuff that you recognize on there, but it's not all the same kind of project in one. 
Um, and there's a very ugly bit in the middle just to cover up something that I couldn't show on screen. Um, but this is our login area to one of um, the projects that we work on. And so we can analyze a number of different things working with this dashboard, um, depending on the KPIs of the project. So if you look at like a really basic one, on the left-hand side at the top, there is a um, category tracker of how many tickets are available for sale and how many have been sold to date. But more importantly, there's a KPI that says the sales target is 75%. So it's not just how many tickets are available, how many were sold, but I'm aiming for a certain number and have I surpassed that number or not. And that number may affect a box office number, but I'm tracking two different things there. I both want to know how much dollar did I make on the door, but also how many actual people came in at that time. So I might be kind of measuring two different points in that, in that area. Um, you then have analysis of different points, such as like a Facebook, just likes by country. So with this particular client, they were an international client, so they wanted to have kind of awareness in multiple territories. They obviously had a higher range of interest in the US market and weirdly India, which was not what you think for the particular client. Um, but you're analyzing sort of where are my kind of organic kind of followers at the moment and how can I increase in certain markets based on the film that we're working on. Um, you then might have things, so down the bottom here is a Google Analytics traffic. So this is pulling in from what's called an API feed. So we can pull in information sources from different areas. And this bottom one is looking at year-on-year -year performance of the website. So from an organization involved in growing audiences, I want to see an increase in website visits because that is hopefully going to assume I'm getting more audiences coming in and more new audiences. And the reason why we created this dashboard is you sort of need to see everything working at the same time. So if I had to go into lots and lots of different places, if I had to like log into Twitter and then try and reflect that against my sales figures and what's my day-by-day -day sales and what films and what, it's quite difficult to see it in a kind of collective picture. So we bring it all together in sort of one kind of dashboard. And um, one of the kind of the key things with this is that every pundit that we have, they assess their metrics, their ROI and their KPIs in different ways. So we customize this based on the different metrics that people are kind of working to. Um, because for some people, it's just about the dollar figure. They are just revenue-based. For other people, it's about eyeballs. So have we increased our social presence? Have we increased our audience numbers? Um, they're like, okay, we'll happily give discounts on the door for any screening next week, as long as we're filling the capacity of the screens, because I want to have a full cinema, even if that means I'm giving discounted tickets away. So I want to give you kind of a zoom in on a few of these different metrics um, kind of of interest. So this is like a really, really simple example of an Instagram following account. The red line kind of going across the middle is the target KPI for what we wanted to achieve. That was a 10% growth. And as you can see in the top, we've increased by 31% on this particular project. So we are setting a metric. We're testing our audience development ideas. We're making assumptions about our target audience to try and get us to increase 10%. And actually, I say we did quite a good job because we ended up at 31%. But if I didn't have a marker at 10%, I wouldn't know if I was just doing an all right job or like a very good job, or how quickly was I increasing myself. So seeing it on a literal kind of curve basis, you can see how quickly the speed of engagement is kind of working. Another one that I really like is um, tweets, uh, number of mentions versus the um, reach of that mention. So when you get like a notification on Twitter and you're like, yay, someone talked about me, I'm cool. That's really good, but what was their sphere of influence? How many people did they reach with what they were saying? So this chart looks at the comparison between on the 15th of November, this particular project had over 90 mentions online, but the green line is showing that it only reached about 300,000 people. Whereas on the 17th of November, 
there was maybe 15 mentions, but it was reaching nearly 600,000 people. So my go-to instinct is going to be to look at who were those 15 people, because I want them to keep going because they're getting a much stronger reach online and new audiences than the over 90 people on this end. So the two-day difference, I'm going to see a trend really quickly of growth and maybe an increase in sales that happened, but I'm going to dig deeper into that and say, right, how can I look at this data in a more granular level to kind of increase performance as it comes through? So time trial will definitely have a load of these examples where you'll have like a cyclist who was super popular. So maybe one day you had one mention, but suddenly you saw a spike in activity around a certain screening or event that happened because you're analyzing things on a more granular basis. Um, this was another project where we were doing community screenings. So in the same way that Sonia outlined about um, non-theatrical screening kind of forms, we had a form set up on this project. <clears throat> so when people wrote in, it was like, hey, this is my name. I work in a university in this country. I want to do a screening with this many people on this date. And this would pull into our centralized map function. So we could see, for example, with this project, the highest number of requests came from America. The film was not an American film but um, the particular project we worked on was very well known in America. But we were focusing on European engagement, so where we see that UK, Germany, and Italy were getting higher, that was really good for us because we wanted to see further engagement in those territories. So you can kind of mark on a basis of, like, I'm getting these inbound requests, I'm getting data coming through from um, kind of interested audience members, but how is that working against my targets? If my target was just America, I'm kind of done, I'm winning, great, like, stop the work. But if my target is something else, you can't just say, great, I've got 430 inbound inquiries. It's like, great, but for what territory at what time and is that working in a proficient manner? And this is just like another example with a process of um, looking at the kind of box office gross. This is a made-up country. It's not a German example. But um, what was your box office gross versus admissions? So again, if you just looked at the box office number... <laughs> and compared box office with box office, that's not a complete picture of what you're looking at. Because if your target audience were all students and every single student had a discounted ticket rate, your admissions then is something more interesting to look at. So looking at the comparables of what's your box office figure marked against your admissions level can give you a different picture than if you just looked at box office. So it's trying to outline what are the different data points that you really want to look at. And this was just sort of like a, an interesting one in terms of audience demographics. So we released a film called Unrest, um, which was Oscar shortlisted um, last year. It's a feature documentary about chronic fatigue syndrome. And we evaluated at every single screening that we had in cinemas in the UK. We did an exit poll um, with at least one person every time, but trying to get a kind of a good sample. And we had the highest number of evaluations that the BFI had ever had, which was good for us. Um, so what we could do is look and say, okay, we know that predominantly our um, audience age group was in the sort of late 30s, 40s category. But if I broke it down by region of the UK, because I knew where those evaluations were coming from, I could break this down further and say, actually, in the southeast, it was predominantly 40 to 49. But in other regions, it was 25 to 30 if you look at the southwest. So in that difference, and I'm thinking, why did that happen? How did that happen? How do we do marketing there to make that happen? How can I use that knowledge for the next film that I do, where I'm predominantly wanting to reach a 40 to 49 audience in the southeast? What did we apply in that marketing to kind of repeat that again? So this dashboard we're kind of um, launching at the moment with the clients that we're working with, um, and it's evolving out from this larger project that we're building around a kind of customized CRM. Um, but hopefully it just gives you kind of a snapshot of a few things that you can think about. So some of these things 
you can access yourselves already. So you can go onto the back end of Facebook. You can see, as we showed for time trial, you can see the data on who your fans are. You can see their demographic information. If you boost a post and use the paid advertising, you can see a whole host of other data around the back of it. Um, we've taken it to another level by combining everything together. But there are lots of things that you can do for free with sort of simple tools. And I would say on any system you're using, whether it's MailChimp, HubSpot, Facebook, Twitter, look up the help guides that talk about the analytics and read them. <laughs> like, they're really, really helpful. They tell you how every, every platform works, and it can give you a lot of insight into sort of what can I learn from my audience um, through this kind of Twitter play. So we wanted to sort of um, leave this session at the end with sort of a few like calls to action in terms of what we think would be useful for kind of all filmmakers. So... You as filmmakers, if you are filmmakers, or funders or festivals, whoever you are, you have to take ownership of like knowing your data. So it's on you to make sure that you are tracking things online, you have Google Analytics set up, you have a Facebook pixel set up. <clears throat> These are things that are really, really important. You need to show additional aspects that are not just money. So we need to stop just measuring the data aspect only of money. It has to be measured in other ways. Are we growing our social traffic? Are we growing our communication levels? The fact that the main kind of feature of a film grew his Twitter from 40,000 to 20,000, that's a really interesting metric. Did that happen because he was in a film? Did people know he was in a film so then they followed him? Like, what was the thing that triggered which side? Um, did that have a direct impact then on what the box office was going to be? Yes or no? So you need to look at these kind of com combination of data points. And then for funders, um, sort of more people need to have training <laughs> in this area. Like there needs to be more training in how to run kind of digital strategy um, and also data. And I was having a conversation this morning that one of the benefits of digital strategies is that you can directly see what has happened. Someone clicked on that ad on Facebook for time trial, they then went on the website, they then bought a DVD. Like I can follow it all the way through from that point. A really great kind of PR article in Variety, I don't know if that was the thing that actually converted that final sale. But if I can track it directly from a digital ad spend, I can see the complete kind of conversion kind of coming through. Um, there's a whole kind of um, discussion with people in our industry around whether there can be more support in terms of data grants, nonprofits, could sort of Google provide a blanket sort of support for social documentaries, or could Facebook provide free ads maybe for some projects? This is going to be on a podcast, so please listen to this Facebook. Um, but are there ways in which we could potentially work with some of these platforms on a greater way than just kind of paying for service? Could there be kind of a bigger kind of collaboration? And then to kind of follow on from that <clears throat> is when we think about what we're funding, I have a real gripe with organizations who just give money for production and don't help mentor audience development and marketing distribution. Because as I said at the beginning, if no one sees your film, it didn't exist. It did not exist if no one watched it. So we need to make sure that filmmakers are empowered and hopefully funders can help that empowerment to make sure those things can be completed. And then also how we share information across the value chain. So the reason we're creating kind of our own customized CRM system is because we want the information to flow quickly from festival to festival, from producer to sales agent, from distributor to sales agent, rather than waiting for a PDF report to come every six months, which is just pointless. Why are we sending PDF reports? That's stupid. So let's speed up the value of data coming through. Um, and also just be more kind of equipped in language around how we use CRM systems um, and how we use sort of SaaS tools in that way. And then maybe Sonia can talk to this kind of final point of an interesting 
thing that we saw in a report that we thought was quite relevant? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I didn't even know that there was a European Film Agency director uh, meeting. So all the film agencies around Europe meet uh, every now and again. And they actually put out this vision statement which says that it includes the need to embrace technological change and make available comprehensive and transparent data. Um, so it's interesting that there is that sort of directive, but um, actually at the moment it feels like copyright holders, so they say copyright holders should have access to full data on the full exploitation of their work, um, especially obviously if it's publicly funded. So um, how they're going to actually see that through... Um, I have to say, I've, I'd never heard of this. I, I, I got this information from a researcher, academic researcher, uh, who pointed me to this, uh, this vision statement. Um, but it would be interesting to actually hold them to account perhaps a bit more and say, well, what about this and what are you going to do about it? Because uh, what we maybe haven't talked about is um, some data, of course, is very hard to get. For example, Netflix viewing figures or... Uh, and um, so how public funders are going to work with things that end up on platforms like Netflix, it, uh, where Netflix is now, frankly, almost buying them off by investing into, uh, I think Canada got a big grant, for example, for Canadian productions from Netflix. So how, how uh, that's negotiated will be probably the next few years will be very interesting to monitor. Mm. And the Netflix example is like a really good marker of whether you're measuring reach or revenue. If your sole focus is just on the revenue point, you got an offer, you got the check, happy days, got loads of money, amazing. Mm. But if your point was I want reach and I want to know that certain audiences in certain countries saw my film for particular reasons, you don't have that data at the moment. And there is a kind of a big stress on sort of a number of platforms that yes, you got the check and everyone feels great about that, but actually I made this because I want people to watch it. And at the moment, I don't know who watched my film. And so there needs to be sort of more transparency in some of those platforms to make it happen. But we think this was like a really good point in terms of how the film agencies work in the, is there anything else the film, agency, film agencies can do to help promote transparency a little bit more in our sector? So that was the end of our presentation. Um, I think we have a few minutes for questions if anybody has any notes they want to share. Hello. Uh, yes, uh, great presentation, very clear. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, uh, I work for the National Film Board of Canada. Mm -hmm. I have one question, very specific. You mentioned uh, when you uh, work with the cycling global network or yeah. those guys. Mm -hmm. So if I understood correctly, you gave them to market mm -hmm. the trailer, right? Yes, yeah. And was there any uh, kind of commercial exchange? Uh, no, so basically we had a conversations. Um, uh, the guys who run Global Cycling Network um, are obviously deeply meshed in the cycling world. And... Uh, as I said, fans of David Miller. So when, uh, and in fact, David had a kind of little cycling club of 10 people, 20 people that they would meet occasionally. So he was in that inner sanctum of David Miller fans. And so he just offered to help. And we knew it was a powerful platform. So we had a conversation and he said, uh, yeah, happy to do it for free. Normally this would cost 10 to 20,000 pounds or something. So he himself, and I didn't, to be honest, interrogate this very much, but he put a value on it, 
where, you know, obviously us giving him exclusive content of the trailer, um, I think, you know, we, we weren't going to... I mean, we didn't owe them, but neither... You know, I mean, it, it was a decent transaction. We felt we actually got more out of it maybe than they did. Um, but as I said, you can't... Uh, they do slap ads on it, and they maybe promote it a bit, but I don't know how much money they put on it. We we found that they didn't promote as much as their own content because it didn't go quite as wide as their other content. So you could see the different metrics actually right there. And we could have maybe pushed them and said, can you put a bit more money on it? But we were quite happy with 70,000 views in a short... So we... Yeah. Huh? In this case, yes, I suppose. But but also, we it didn't cost us to access that. You know, if we had to pay for the ad, it would have been, you know, for that, it would have cost more, possibly. Hi. Um, again, thanks. Really great presentation. Very clear. Thanks. Um, I, I went to a talk earlier on this week where they were looking at um, measuring different revenue streams that come into the documentary world. And um, the whole um, video on demand kind of online distribution was minuscule. It was really, really, really small. And um, unsurprisingly, people just don't know how to use data, which is part of the reason we're here. Mm. But also, um, anecdotally and structurally, what I'm kind of hearing from people is that they're struggling to get data from Amazon, they're struggling to get data from Netflix. Vimeo's a little bit better. You know, if you're on Facebook, you know who your followers are, but that's not really industry specific. Um, do, do you st I mean, all the examples you gave were of um, more traditional distribution, which is also challenging, an important challenge. But how do you apply this to um, online? I think there's like multiple points in that. So um, some of the online platforms you can do self-releasing on. So if you use Vimeo On Demand, you're publishing that directly. You can use Vimeo, um, Amazon Prime, you can directly publish on there. So there are back-end analytics you can see. Um, Vimeo had a thing called VHX, which is now Vimeo OTT, where you could launch your own Netflix-style subscriber platform using the Vimeo backend. So again, you could drive like subscription revenue and see that kind of recurring income coming through. So certain platforms you can get much more information from than others. Um, with things like iTunes, there's the iTunes Connect login. So depending on whether you're going direct or through a third-party aggregator, you can see daily numbers coming on the backend. And one of the aggregators, Quiver, is a good example. If you use them as their, your aggregation partner for online, they have a back-end dashboard, which is what we use for unrest. So you can see the daily figures coming in from different countries, different versions, so you can see those numbers. So certain digital platforms, you can access that data quicker, um, and you can access it, unlike other platforms. Um, so there's two things there. Is one is if you're self-releasing, um, make sure that you understand the back end of those different platforms. And if you're going through an aggregation partner, make sure they're giving you the information as quickly as they get it. Because what aggregators used to do is they would also send you a PDF statement six months after the thing happened. And if you're doing any kind of marketing, you can't market anything that went out six months before. So that speed of information is really critical, especially in digital. So if we can see something having an up, kind of a, a spike in sales, we'll think like what happened in the marketing that 
at that point and can we replicate that the next morning to keep things pushing forward so awareness of sort of how those backends work and quicker information from aggregators is really really crucial but I totally agree that I've I'm yet to see a documentary that's like smashed loads and loads of money on digital mm. unless they've also have a, a ginormous um, theatrical release as well so like RBG Three Identical Strangers will have done huge on digital mm. but they also took 10 million plus in the box office so there is a direct correlation sometimes between the two things so um Producers can't um, sell in directly to iTunes, and um, you have to go through a th third-party provider who essentially is going to quality check um, the product before it goes to iTunes. So um, very, very few, there are, there are loads, but there are very few produ production companies who can directly sell their products on iTunes as a direct um, supplier. So usually you have to go through a third party. So like you guys, you had Dogwiff, and mm. um, there's things like the movie partnership in the UK, Under the Milky Way in Europe, Quiver in America. So essentially they have a library of content that they take to the platform as like 100 films. And the platform is secure in knowledge that um, all of those films will be, have the right subtitles, the film is of the right quality. They're doing all of that work in preparation. We have two last questions here. Hi, hello. I'm Edith from Brazil, and I love the presentation. Very useful. Uh, one thing I would like to learn, maybe if you could share your experience on reaching partnerships using the data you had access to. You mentioned a lot having access to uh, interested parties and uh, audience, but did it has it helped you, or do you have any knowledge about helping you reaching partners? Just like you mentioned, the, the cycling. Uh, I mean, the, the one thing we always have in spades in documentaries, I think you're really immersing yourself usually in, in an environment in your subject area. And in our case, cycling. I mean, we were deeply immersed. I mean, we knew all the organizations uh, from... Also because we had to get permissions to film in, in a race. So we knew the, ra you know, the, the race owners. We knew um, the, the, the journalists... And we, we really kind of, I mean, we knew all aspects of what, what it means to, to be a professional cyclist and how, how that, that world operates. So, and they're always, they're always interested in, in sort of, um, you know, displaying their, their work in a, in a good light or to have it in the media. So it's not that difficult, I think, to, to, to make those connections. Um, is, is there something you feel... I think actually more in person. I think we were probably very good at in person connecting uh, people up because we were, or partly because the director was already very good friends with some of the key journalists as well. Um, because David was collaborating with us on also introducing us to various um, important people, influential people. Um, and then again, I didn't sort of finish it, but we had this list of cyclists who have influential uh, Twitter accounts and hardly any of them have even seen it yet because it's very difficult to get hold of them. Uh, David is not really in... Well, he's still in cycling, but he's, he's not um, a cyclist any, anymore. Um, and so th where we thought we would get a bump from tweets or, or shares by these... Um, I mean, they were maybe had a million followers even, much more than David, but that didn't happen, or it hasn't happened yet. So we're actually going into a second phase of, um, especially in the UK, we're going to do a sort of uh, online 
online advertising campaign for our on um, on demand for T-Bot. Um, and so it'll be quite exciting to see how we'll have real metrics and how, how we convert and whether we will reach some of those cyclists as well. I think like a good point on that as well is, as you say, like you immerse yourself in, in a sector mm. so much. And we say to everyone, like you need to have a strategic partner matrix, which is basically like a sexy name for a spreadsheet to start off with. But every time you interview someone, mm. where do they work? What is their name? Who's the communications manager in their organization? Do they have a mailing list? Do they have a kind of Twitter feed? So every single interview you do, every single piece of research, every time you read an article, write down the names of every single person that you're reading. And by the end of your production, you should have like 400 people already in a list because it's the people that you've been interviewing and talking to the entire time. And then you're just ready to kind of reach out to them to start off with. And it always like, baffles me that we don't do that, like mm. in our sector. Like, people, people are really good at research and documentary, otherwise we wouldn't have jobs. Mm. And yet we're really bad at noting down like, the names of the people to then contact them afterwards and say, I read your article and it really inspired this scene. Would you like to now write an article about my finished film, which was inspired mm. by your article? We don't really do this like feedback mm. loop um, very well at the moment. So, and I think the offline element, like for a non-theatrical screening um, booking, even if you have the sexiest form and you can pay directly, someone always emails you a question, and there's so much back and forth. So, the notion that digital equals like simplicity and automation is true in some cases, but not in most cases. So a lot of it is phone calls and email and building relationships on a more personal basis, which is just going to benefit you on a long term, which is why you need a CRM because you need to track phone calls and emails all the time in that way. Okay, Ben Campos, Film and Campaign. Uh, thanks for the shout out. <laughs> um, I've, I've got to ask because this session was announced as the unveiling of a brand new tool. Yeah. Is that the, the Insights Board or is that the, the market oriented so tool you're the, working on? It's Sarah? the dashboard for the moment. So we're still building out the um, back end functionality of the CRM system. Um, we've migrated our build onto a blockchain server, which is just kind of making it a little bit longer to um, build out. So the dashboard platform that kind of we showcased today is the kind of first iteration of what we're um, kind of launching. We're starting the trial of it with our current clients. So anybody who's working with us has access to this dashboard. All of our clients now have these dashboards um, set up for them. So anybody who's interested in using it um, can totally come and say hi and see if it will work for your campaigns. Okay, give a warm applause to Sarah and Sonia. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please check out other podcast episodes and video recordings of other talks and events of ITFA at itfa.nl and subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date.